episode 25 of the Real Food Mamas podcast. This is Stephanie Grinke, owner of RockYourHormones.com and co-creator of the Whole30's Healthy Mama Happy Baby program. Aglaie, the owner of RadicataNutrition.com and author of Digestive Health with Real Food, is on vacation right now, so she's not going to be joining us. Today we have part two of our episode on how to have a more natural birth in the hospital. Women have a wide range of options when it comes to where they want to give birth and who they want on their birth team. And ultimately, the best choice is whatever mom and her family feel comfortable with. We've talked about home birth on past episodes, so today we want to open up the conversation and discuss hospital births. If a woman wants to have a natural birth but feels more comfortable in the hospital, there are a few very important things she needs to keep in mind. Our guests will help women feel more educated and empowered in the hospital, whether or not a natural birth is their end goal. Before we begin, I have a couple of updates for you, and then I want to introduce our guest. I recently bought the Instant Pot on a Black Friday sale on Amazon.com, and I am loving it. It is so awesome. I was thinking about getting it for over a year when the Black Friday sale was happening, and just didn't pull the trigger. I thought I was totally good having a a slow cooker and this was an extra toy that I really didn't need, but now that I have it, I don't know how I lived without it. It makes bone broth in two hours. I'm not joking, you guys. Usually it will take anywhere from 24 to 72 hours to make, but you just put the bones and water, herbs, vegetables, you throw whatever you want in the Instant Pot Turn it on for 120 minutes, and you have delicious broth that gels. And the best part is that it doesn't smell up your whole kitchen. So that has been such a win for us. We've also made white rice in it. My husband loves white rice. I occasionally have a scoop of it. It turns out perfect. We've made stews in it with cheaper, tougher cuts of meat, and the meat comes out fork tender. It's so delicious. We've loved it. So that's something to consider if you're looking for um, something for Christmas or for yourself or for other people. The Instant Pot is something I know you'll love. And the other thing that I've been really enjoying is my diffuser and a blend called Holiday Joy from doTERRA. We don't have a ton of Christmas decorations up. Um, right now but we do have the diffuser going in the tree and between those two things it really feels like Christmas here it makes me happy now we want to introduce our guest Corey Gentry Corey Gentry is the owner of birth chemistry birth classes and is a certified birth boot camp natural childbirth educator and an evidence-based birth instructor she offers 10-week natural childbirth classes six-week home birth preparation classes, and evidence-based birth workshops. Through the stories of her mother and family members, Corey grew up believing that natural birth was normal. After studying early childhood education at California State Monterey Bay, she became a child care provider in 2005 and was surprised by how common cesareans and epidurals were among her clients. No one seemed to believe that natural birth was achievable, and her hopes for a natural birth were often met with, you'll be begging for drugs. Corey married the pop-punk rocker of her dreams in 2007, and on Valentine's Day 2009, Eric and Corey were thrilled to find out they were pregnant. They immediately sought a comprehensive natural childbirth class, and when they discovered there were none in the area, she knew she would someday offer one. 
Corey and Eric now have four sons. Milo is six, Ashley is four, Indiana is two, and Everett turns one. Um, just turned one. Her births have been very different. She has birthed at 38 weeks and after 42 weeks at three different local hospitals and at home with doctors and midwives, medicated and natural. Advocating for options and safety in childbirth is something Corey lives daily. She is the president of the Birth Network of Monterey, co-leader of the International Cesarean Awareness Network of Monterey County, and is on the board of directors for Improving Birth. Corey's website is birthchemistry.com. You talked a little bit about childbirth education. I think this is another area, like doulas, that's really underutilized by women and would be especially important for a woman wanting to have a natural birth in the hospital. So can you talk a little bit more about why it's so important to take a class? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do just have to say about doulas before I get some emails from angry doulas. Doulas are not just for people wanting a natural birth. That's really important to, to say. Okay. So even if you know you're going to go in and you want an epidural, which is completely valid, um, but you're, you still want support throughout that process, doulas are still incredibly valuable. If you know you're having a cesarean for some health-related reason or because you desire it, a doula can be a part of that cesarean, take pictures, narrate what is going on. Um, we were talking about natural hospitals births birth today, so that's what I focused on. But I do want to make sure that no matter what your birth your birth plan is, even if you're having a home birth, I had a doula for my home birth, doulas are still very valuable. So childbirth education classes. So only about half of all women take a childbirth class, and most of those um, women take the hospital childbirth class. It's really important to note, nothing against hospital childbirth educators. I know some, they're fantastic people. But overall, those classes are going to teach you about what to expect to happen to you in a hospital birth. It doesn't really set you up to make informed decisions about your birth. Hospitals are usually motivated to have pretty high epidural rates, especially if this is a hospital where we have an anesthesiologist there the whole time. Um, they have to pay for that anesthesiologist. And they're going to do that with high epidural rates and things like that. So sometimes um, your hospital childbirth class, your, your teacher may um, do the best she can, but perhaps she's been told, well, you're not allowed to talk about the risks of an epidural, which absolutely happens. I've hmm. talked to educators who have said, yeah, I wasn't allowed to talk about the risks of an epidural because they don't want moms to not get an epidural because they're afraid of the risks. And that's not really making an informed decision. If you don't know what the risks are, if you weigh the risks and the benefits and you decide, um, I want an epidural, then that is fine. But if you don't want an epidural, it's, it's important that you know that you, that you have what, what, it, what it entails, what other options are available to you. So um, what does it leave after we, after we take out the hospital childbirth classes? Um, so then we have independent childbirth classes. That includes, um, there are Lamaze teachers, many Lamaze teachers teach in the hospital, but um, there are Lamaze outside. There's hypnobirthing and hypnobabies, and um, I teach birth boot camp, um, natural childbirth classes, um, and a lot of different options. It's important to find out what, what, what kind of curriculum is being covered. So, um, for example, in birth boot camp, um, the goal... The students' goals are usually a natural birth. Um, it's a natural childbirth class. 
Um, whereas we might compare that to Lamaze and the, the goal, the Lamaze is just prepared, that you're prepared. It's not specifically a natural childbirth curriculum. Um, Lamaze teachers very widely huge differences so some of them you might be getting something that is very much a natural childbirth class and some you might be getting even though you're not in the hospital you might be getting a pretty standard what to expect to happen to you in the hospital class um so it's really important to weigh um you know in, if your hypnobirthing teacher what what is her philosophy how does she follow the curriculum very very strictly which you know the, the curriculum might not have as much information as you want um, or you're, they might add in a lot of information. So it's really important to um, maybe don't just click online. We love to just not have to have any personal contact with people through phones. I, the same way, I always want people to, to text me and I don't necessarily, you know, uh, love getting on the phone. But when it comes to my students um, and people interested in childbirth classes, call me, like have a conversation with me. I've even gone and had coffee with people who just want to find out more about the classes. So have a phone conversation with the person that you're interested in having a class with. Find out what their philosophy is. Ask them about their births. I think that's absolutely appropriate. Find out um, where have you given birth and what was your experience and what is your philosophy? Those things are, are going to come through in the classes. So um, we do see that um, that getting informed and having information is really essential. If you don't know what your options are, then you you know, like the saying goes, you don't know your options, that you don't have any. Um, it's really important to get from an objective resource um, the, those options. Um, another really amazing resource that's now becoming available is the evidence-based birth classes. Um, I actually just finished my training last night. I got Yay. my certification or my my certificate at um, like one o'clock in the morning, um, and so that is something that's now available to people. Um, there are workshops. These are not comprehensive childbirth classes, so you need to take a childbirth class too if you're taking the workshop. But it's going to help you find out how do you get evidence-based birth. I mean, don't we all want don't we all want to get care that's based off of the best scientific evidence and not just your care provider's personal preferences. Exactly. Corey, I need you to brag a little bit. I want you to talk about the success of your childbirth education classes and, and what you've seen with the women that have taken it as far as their um, induction rate and cesarean rates and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really into stats. I love charts. I love data. I love it. So um, Birth Bootcamp does ask that we keep um, – that we do a birth summary. I actually do a reunion with all of my classes because I really care about what everyone's outcomes were. Um, I really, and if even if the outcome was not a natural birth, I really want everyone to know that there are no failed births, that if you went in with all the preparations and you chose a hospital that had a low C-section rate and you had your doula and you labored for 38 hours and in the end it looks like a c-section will save for mom and baby that is not a failure that is a success right absolutely so i reconnect with all of my families through the reunion and if they are not able to come to the reunion maybe they moved or something like that then i give them a phone call afterwards um and i, I do not share their names or anything with birth boot camp but i do give um i do give this the stats of whether they had a natural birth um did they have a doula with them 
what, did they have a midwife or did they have a physician and all of those things. And then I keep the stats for myself as well. And I have charts and things like that. So once I get to a hundred um, families, which I'm very close to right now, I'm going to be putting that um, on my website and doing an article on what I have found um, through my, the, the classes that I teach. So um, I am usually shifting between, between 70 and 80% of my families have um, unmedicated births. Um, right now I'm closer to 80 than 70, so that makes me happy. Um, I have only had seven families um, have cesarean births. Of the cesareans that were not, um, that were not absolute emergency, so that means mom is under general anesthesia, we need to take that baby out as soon as possible. Um, so the ones where mom had an epidural and was awake, all of those were what we call mother-friendly cesareans. So the baby is slowly, you know, brought up and skin to skin with the mom and really beneficial. Um, and I have not had any families who took both my class and hired a doula um, have an epidural for pain relief. So that is something that I, I think that we've figured out this thing. So, so, some women will eventually, someone will do it. Someone will need an epidural for pain relief. Um, but, uh, that's been something that's been very, um, very exciting to see that, um, you know, epidural should not be your first, should not be the first choice, um, for most women, um, that there's other things that, that you options that you have. So that's a little bit about what I found in my classes. Um, I actually don't have my induction rate off the top of my head, but it's very, very low. And it really has been the vast majority of the time has been a, a true medical reason for that induction. And, and thank God we have induction options for when we need them. But 40% of women do not need to be, be induced. That, that rate's a little bit high in the United States. Yeah, and I just wanted you to bring that up because I think it shows the power of education. And you know, when a woman takes birth into her own hands and learns about what her body should be doing and what's normal and then hires help, so gets support from a midwife or a doula, just what can happen. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> and, um, you know, as you're talking about interviewing too, so interviewing your childbirth educator, you know, interviewing your potential OBGYN or your midwives, really important too, and they should make time out for you to, to meet with them. So I would encourage that too. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to the birth plan. I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. So um, should moms create a birth plan? And if they do, what are some things that they should consider putting on it or how to structure it if they choose to create one? Yeah, absolutely. So my first birth plan was uh, three pages, single space. <laughs> I practically cited studies. I, I resisted, but I was really close to doing it. And um, our first birth, we, we went in, we wanted to have, we prepared with the Bradley method. We were dedicated. We were having an actual birth. It was not a question that we were going to have um, an epidural. And in the end, everything other than a C-section happened to us um, that we didn't want. So we went in, we ended up being induced. We, um, we had the, the uh, we were on max Pitocin. Um, we had the epidural. We had the IV narcotics. We ended up having a, an episiotomy and a, well, not we, I did. Um, and <laughs> then a vacuum extraction. And it was, it was not what we had desired. And yet I had this birth plan that said I didn't want all these things. And it almost felt like, I don't think that they looked at the birth plan, honestly. 
But mm-hmm. it felt like that they looked at the birth plan and did the opposite of everything on the birth plan. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure they just didn't look at it. And the thing is, is that's actually really common. Um, the research that we have on birth plans is not very encouraging, unfortunately. Um, so when I talk to, uh, it, it, not encouraging in that we don't see that birth plans, when you walk into the hospital, that it's actually helping women get what they want on their birth plan. So that part is very discouraging. What is encouraging though, is that there is a way we can use birth plans to get what we want. And what that is, is to develop a birth plan early on in your pregnancy. So when you're in your first trimester, really sit down and think about what do I want my birth to look like? And it might be scary at that point because you're like, oh my God, I have to give birth to a baby. (laughs) Um, But really take that time to consciously think about what do I want? Maybe that's when you find your doula. And maybe that's when you maybe... Um, I teach a preconception and early pregnancy class. So a first trimester class and people who are not even pregnant. I know that there are several other people in our community that teach that. Maybe seek that out. Or I bet if you talk to some childbirth educators in the area, I bet some one of them would sit down with you and maybe help you put together an idea of what you want with your birth. So you put together this birth plan early on in your pregnancy And then you're going to take this birth plan with you to care providers and ask them, maybe first ask them, you know, a little bit about, you know, how, how do you see birth play out and things like that. And maybe talk to them about your birth plan as well. Um, Your birth plan is not a contract. It's not a legal document. It does not protect you. The providers and nurses in the hospital have no obligation to look at it. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to use your birth plan to find your provider. So what I did with my second is that I put together my birth plan of the things that were really important to me. And then I went and I interviewed and I found a midwife who looked over my birth plan and said, and she was a hospital midwife and she said, oh, well we do this already. So when I said, I want delayed cord clamping, she's like, yeah, we pretty much just do that already. Um, and when I said that I, that, um, you know, I want my baby to be immediate skin to skin because I didn't have that with my first, the baby was taken away to a warmer. Um, she said, oh, yeah, we do that. That's just automatic. Everyone gets that. So what you want to do is you want to use your birth plan to find someone whose beliefs line up with your, with your beliefs about birth. Um, so it's incredibly valuable in that way. It is not a piece of paper to hide behind when you walk into the hospital. So it's not valuable in, in the way that most women use it. Yeah, and I, I you have a couple of tips that you talk about, I know, on a blog, and we can link to that. And, and then the class about having it be one page, right, if you do create yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super important. So I do have, um, so I do have a blog. Um, and I have a, a, a post on there um, that says that's called your birth plan is not a contract. So you can either Google that or um, if you provide a link to it, that'd be great. And doing a, so what I found is that a one page, um, uh, a one page birth plan is actually the most effective. Something simple, something friendly is really helpful. So um, yeah, absolutely. And then to tape it maybe on the hospital door. On yeah, their door. have it on your hospital door. So once you have found your care provider who's going to work with you 
on um, this, uh, on what you want, and it feels really comfortable and hasn't said anything that might be mocking your wishes um, <laughs> and is, seems really excited and supportive, then you're going to bring your birth plan with you. I recommend having your care provider sign your birth plan um, and maybe go home, make a couple copies of that signed birth plan. Again, it's not a contract. It's not a legal document. If they don't do what's on your birth plan, you're not going to be able to sue them for not saying with their your birth plan. However, what I have found is that sometimes um, the care provider says, yeah, sure, no no problem on an IV. IV kind of tends to be a big deal some, in some hospitals. So no problem with the IV. Um, I You don't have to labor with one as, unless one becomes uh, necessary. Same with the hep lock, which is just the little port. Yeah, sure, no problem. And then they get to the hospital and the nurse says, it's hospital policy that you have this IV and there's nothing I can really do about it. Well, that's not really true. There's no hospital policies on whether or not you have an IV. That's not um, a legal thing. They can't do that. A, a woman always has the right to say whether they do or do not want a procedure done that is protected. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so what I found is that they come and say, oh, well, I've had this conversation and I recommend you talk to your, your nurses like this to try not to escalate it to be a negative situation. But um, yeah, I had this conversation with um, my provider and he or she said that they are very comfortable with me not laboring with an IV unless it is absolutely necessary. Maybe I'm vomiting excessively or something along those lines where dehydration is an issue. Um, can you get my provider on the phone if they don't, if they, if just the birth plan itself is not, is not enough? The an IV is something that should be being ordered by your provider, that this is a medically necessary intervention for you. Usually that'll, that'll come to like, oh, well, we'll see how things go um, or something along those lines. Um, it kind of diffuses the, the situation and puts it back into a provider um, patient decision um, and really should be down. It's down to, to the mother for her. It's, it's her decision. Yeah, so along those lines, I think a lot of women don't know what their rights are in, in labor. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about informed consent and what women, what their rights are, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a kind of a huge issue. Um, there's a lot of organizations, I shouldn't say a lot, there are organizations out here, out there that are now really raising awareness to women's rights in childbirth. Um, Human Rights in Childbirth is a great organization. Improving Birth is doing tremendous things for raising public awareness of what women's rights are, what is respectful care, what is evidence-based care. Um, evidence-based birth, letting people know what their um, what uh, what is evidence-based and what, what are your rights and things like that, all things that are really important. So um, your rights in labor you always have the right to say no to a procedure. This can be really difficult to do because we go in with um, the desire to be getting medical advice. So some women, once they learn that they have the right to say no to everything, which you do have the right to say no to everything, um, will say, well, I don't want a C-section, so I'm just gonna say no to a C-section. Um, but we do, we're going in there, we wanna know, well, what if you really do need a C-section? So first, are you in a place where you feel like you're really safe that if they, someone says you need an intervention, is that going to feel like you're going to trust your care provider and be able to um, have a, a respectful conversation? 
Sometimes even when we have very carefully selected our birthplace and very carefully selected our care provider, we st still end up in situations where maybe our rights are not being respected. So um, it is uh, it's very important to know that, that women always have the right, or every patient, man, woman, anyone, always has the right to decline something. Um, I recommend that you always um, ask for time to uh, to talk about it. So maybe ask that the provider um, steps out and that you and your doula and your partner have time to discuss um, and things along those lines. So uh, we really have been in a system where um, doctors are kind of considered to be um, the highest authority and that we should do whatever they say. And um, that really is not what even the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology says. Mm -hmm. It says that the women, that the patient is the one who should be making the decisions. And even you know, now we're kind of hearing a little bit about, about shared decision making and the care provider and the woman together should be making the decision. And that really is a little bit of a violation. That really is still not respecting women's autonomy and that she she owns her body. She can always make decisions about her body. So that's really important to remember going in. Awesome. Good information. Thank you for that. And you've been so generous with your time. I'll finish up with one more question and I'll let you go. Um, but, and this was a Facebook question that we got. What are some ways that a woman can be more comfortable laboring in the hospital? So things like heading to the hospital, you know, later on in her labor, um, the snacks to bring, what to pack. Can you provide some inf insight for us here? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So yeah, I've kind of given away a lot of information here. Um, so <laughs> some things that you're not, yeah. And I, oh, I hope that you, um, you guys use this information that you get yourself to a natural childbirth class because my class is 25 hours. So I have barely like scratched on the surface of what you're going to actually get in a class. So if you feel like you walked away from the podcast, just ready to go still get a class, get a doula, um, do some more research. This should be a jumping off point. Um, so something you're going to get a lot more of in a class is going to be labor practice, comfort measures. I go over dozens of comfort measures uh, in my classes that we actually practice. We get up, we do massage, um, we, we practice with different things. So some things to be a little more comfortable in a hospital, I'm just going to give you a few. Um, so one is definitely going to be not, don't go to the hospital too early. So many women always want to know, when do I go to the hospital? It's a much more complicated answer than just like when you are, when your contractions are this close together, because someone might have their contractions, you know, at the same, you know, four minutes apart, two different women. And one woman might be pretty, pretty ready to go to the hospital based on her behavior and what, what things are, what's going on. And another woman might have a long time to go hanging out at home. Um, so what I always recommend is, uh, First, have a doula and have that doula be at your home with you laboring and help you make that decision. You're going to be more comfortable laboring at home and then being in the hospital until you reach the point where you feel like I am not comfortable at home. I need to be in my birthplace. And that's a point most women are going to they're going to reach that they're going to reach this point of, of urgency. So um, so that's what I recommend is that you, you use a doula. Um, that you take a class to help you learn all the signs of early labor versus active labor. You're going to want to go when you're in active labor, but there's a lot of different signs 
of these different things. And you're really going to need a full class to be able to learn that. Um, and then with things that are good to bring to the hospital, um, I have a post on my blog, what to bring for your natural hospital birth. I really think that it's um, things that kind of everyone should bring, because even if you want an epidural, you're not going to be able to just back your butt in the door and get that epidural as soon as you get there. You're going to have to labor a little bit. So um, bringing hot um, uh, rice packs, herbal rice wraps, really great. You can even bring a little crock pot to help keep it keep them warm. Um, having snacks and, and things to drink. Um, most hospitals still are not going to support you in eating and drinking in labor, but you can always bring your own food and you are still a person with the ability to make decisions about your body, like whether or not you feed yourself um, or take in fluids. So um, that's your decision. No one can tell you you can't do that. Um, I just, while I'm on that um, topic of not being allowed, um, I really strongly recommend you check out um, Birth and Monopoly's article, uh, You're Not Allowed to Not Allow Me. It's amazing. I love it. It's I love the title. She's always so clever um, with her titles. <laughs> check out that article. It's really, really good, or that, that blog post. So um, having something like a rebozo, that's kind of a thing that a lot of people don't know what it is. Um, it's a, um, a Mexican uh, scarf, basically. But there's a lot of different ways you can use a rebozo. So um, finding a doula who's trained in using a rebozo or taking a childbirth class with someone who has training, I have training in using a rebozo, really cool and valuable. So those are a few things that you can do. Heat, ice, food support, different things, massage, stuff like that. Learning how to do all of those things, you're going to have to get yourself in a childbirth class. Yeah, I agree. Those are really great tips, but actually being in a one hour, a multiple hour class is where you're going to learn the most. So Yeah, absolutely. Corey, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with your knowledge, and we are so appreciative of that. Uh, we'll link to all the blogs that you talked about, your information. Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my business is called Birth Chemistry. Um, so I teach multiple different classes under um, that I offer through Birth Chemistry. So if you go to birthchemistry.com, you will find my blog about me, the classes that I'm offering. Um, if you live on the other side of the U.S. and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a question about injections, I'm always happy to answer questions. And sometimes I'm even able to connect you with a per with um, a, a class or a doula or something in your area. Perfect. Thank you, Corey. Have a great rest of your day. No problem. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And thank you for listening to Real Food Mamas. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast to help us spread the real food word. We also invite you to visit our website, realfoodmamaspodcast.com, and our new Facebook page, Real Food Mamas, to find past episodes, leave comments, and ask questions for future shows. Remember, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture you and your family.